Welcome to this Hardwick podcast. My name is Sarah McCann and I'm joined by my colleague Ebony Elaine. In this podcast, we will be discussing the topic of adjudication of construction professional negligence claims. We're going to start with reminding ourselves a bit about the genesis of adjudication and some of the hallmarks of the system before looking in a little bit more detail about how it fits with an adjudication of a professional negligence claim in particular. Um, So if we just sort of go back a while to when adjudication came in 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 1996, um, adjudication against construction professionals. Ebony, part of the big idea behind adjudication, what do you think? In 1994, the government and the construction industry basically jointly commissioned the Latham Report. And what that report did was it recommended a shift away from bespoke contracts to the NEC. And at the time, the NEC uh, was recently published and it contained an adjudication procedure. The JCT and the ICE standard forms needed substantial change because they didn't have that sort of procedure. And of the 30 recommendations in the Latham report, one of them was that adjudication should be the normal method of dispute resolution. Now, that was, at the time, radical because this was a mandatory process for resolving disputes um, that was being proposed. And of the 130-odd pages of the Latham report, the word negligence only appears once, and that relates to the inability to recover pure economic loss in such claims. So even though this was going to be a radical shift, the consideration of how it would apply to construction professional negligence claims was perhaps less involved than you would have expected. Uh, well, indeed, and uh, wasn't really the idea behind it all just cash flow for the industry and, and, and payment disputes, really. Um, so why is it that we're finding that um, we're having more and more professional negligence claims? And why are most construction professionals actually caught by the Construction Act? Well, you're quite right, Sarah. The objective was payment. And the idea, believe it or not, we know we now know that that, that was quite idealistic, was that overall recourse to the courts was going to decrease and the system was going to become less adversarial because this mandatory system meant that the adjudicator would have an unfettered jurisdiction, obviously temporarily, uh, to determine these disputes and keep cash flow going. Um, now, the reason that it applies to construction professionals is because when the Housing Grants Construction and Regeneration Act 1996 was made law, it introduced this right to adjudicate at any time and to have a decision within 28 days of the referral um, or an extended period as agreed. And that applied across the board, the essential ingredients being a construction contract and a dispute or any difference arising under the contract. Now, you might say, what construction professionals, why are they caught by this? Well, it's because construction contracts... Um, are defined and they involve construction operations. And construction contracts are defined at section 104.2 of the Act and they include to do architectural design or surveying work or to provide advice on building, engineering, interior or exterior uh, decoration or on the laying out of landscape in relation to construction operations. So it's pretty broad. Mm. And then construction operations are defined both positively and negatively under section 105. And it basically expressly includes contracts for construction, alteration, repair, maintenance, extension, demolition or dismantling of buildings forming, um, sorry, of buildings forming or that will form part of the land, whether permanent or not, and involves roads, waterways, sewers, industrial plant, external or internal cleaning if required as part of a wider project, painting and decorating, all of these are construction operations. So it's fairly difficult to come up with um, 
a professional appointment that isn't going to come within come that, within yeah. that broad definition. And then the Act also envisaged hybrids. So it said that where an agreement relates to construction operations and other matters, the Act applies insofar as it relates to construction operations. Mm. So even if your agreement has some parts of it that are excluded, yeah. where you're dealing with construction operations, that's going to be covered and you can adjudicate in respect of that part. So uh, fair to say then that whilst the Act wasn't designed uh, per se for disputes against construction professionals, the fact that it refers to or allows any dispute arising under the contract to be referred, provided, of course, you've got a construction contract in the first place, as you say, and you've got construct and it's for construction operations, means that there's absolutely nothing preventing a dispute in relation to a construction professional negligence claim being referred. Um, but of course, what most um, commentators have said, or a lot of commentators have said, is the, is one of the main problems, is that claims against construction professionals are inherently simply too complex for adjudication. Um, is is that something you think is right? And is that something that you think the courts are, are, are saying is right? So initially, complexity was something that did perplex those dealing with the enforcement of construction adjudication claims. Because as you say, there was this feeling that con- that the adjudication of construction professional negligence claims was ill-fitting mm. and that there, there simply wasn't enough time in the process or the ability to build in enough time to do that fairly. Um, and there were lots of complaints about that. And the early cases, uh, such as AWG, Construction Services Limited and Rockingham, uh, the question was posed, well, are there disputes that are so complex that the ad- the advantages that you get in terms of speed, et cetera, in adjudication are just weighted too heavily against the respondent yeah. to, to make adjudication the right path? And after perhaps giving indications that there might be some cases there, there might be some disputes that were simply too complex. The court has been very clear that that complexity in and of itself is not a reason mm. not to adjudicate something um, and that actually it's a much more nuanced assessment that needs to take place yeah. when deciding whether or not it's suitable, a dispute is suitable for adjudication. Well, and we're all familiar, aren't we, with the adjudications which land on your desk um, in hundreds of, of files um, and those aren't necessarily even the professional negligence dispute ones. So the idea that uh, the fact that there's a lot of documentation involved um, is is a reason for for adjudication not to be used, it would be a slightly staggering one. Um, so you've sort of, I think, referred slightly to the fact that this is a good idea for a referring party to be able to use uh, adjudication because I think you referenced the fact that um, some suggestion that the adjudication scheme is weighted in favour of a claimant in a professional negligence dispute. Um But what, in your view, really then are the pros and cons of an adjudication against a construction professional, as opposed to, say, arbitrating or litigating? Well, of course, you've got the double whammy of cost and efficiency. So you're getting cost and efficiency in bringing the claim in that in that in that way and through the process you're getting speed mm. now if you're bringing the adjudication often people consider that construction professionals are always on the losing end of of these adjudications yeah but the insurance position might mean that you're not because notification and the requirement to notify under your policy probably means that as a construction professional you have an inkling of a claim coming your way um, if there is one about your services um, and often you find that it's the other way around. I know for a lot of the 
construction adjudication um, work that comes across my desk, it's the other way around in as much as the construction professional is adjudicating for their fees mm. and the employer on the back foot is trying to mount a complaint about the standard of the services yeah. without sufficient expert evidence or without sufficient time to do so. Yeah. So as a construction professional, you'll consider the inbuilt risk of significant and material unfairness to you, which is brought about by the speed of the process. Mm. But you should also consider the factors that might favour you, which is that you are going to benefit from the speed of not having this dispute hanging over your head for a prolonged period of time. Mm. And you might be better placed than the employer um, in terms of your understanding of the technical issues, which are actually going to influence liability to respond effectively to the claim. Um, And of course, as I've said, with the insurance position, it may mean that you're not ambushed and or as surprised as people in payment disputes might be. Mm. I see that. Um, I mean, that's those are the pros and cons you referenced. I think the, the expert evidence um, position briefly. Of course, one of the issues um, in all professional negligence claims is going to be the extent of expert evidence required. Uh, and of course, if you want to adjudicate and take the advantages that you've listed of an adjudication as opposed to court or arbitration, you want really to be benefiting from the speed and uh, supposed um, cheap nature and quicker of that quicker procedure. So I can see that actually for a referring party, sometimes it might be quite tempting to try and reduce the scope of the expert evidence they obtain and submit for an adjudication. Um, But of course, um, any referring party has to uh, be very cautious before taking that approach of curbing the extent of their expert evidence because of the cases that we know, for instance, of Pantelli and that line of authorities. Um, and Pantelli obviously was the case that uh, where, in effect, all that was said in relation to the allegations was quoting the contract terms and then alleging that the defendant had failed adequately or at all to insert contract term uh, and not really saying what they uh, ought to have done that they didn't or what they did that they ought not to have done. Um and, and we know that Pantelli has been construed by some as meaning that you have to have expert evidence uh, at the time of pleading any professional negligence claims for the court. Um, but of course, that's not quite what it said. Uh, and we know that from subsequent authorities and comments from Mr Justice Aikenhead. Um, but what we do know is that we're dealing with the Bolam test. We're dealing with pr- having to prove if you're a claimant that you um, that the defendant professional has fallen below the standard of reasonable care to be expected of the reasonably competent whatever professional. Um, and it does seem inevitable that to succeed on uh, any part of that sort of case, expert evidence is going to be required to prove that the professional has fallen below that, that level of that standard of competence. Um, but so... Uh, Normally, you are going to need expert evidence, even in an adjudication, to prove your professional negligence claim. Um, But of course, adjudication throws up a slightly different issue and a slightly different dynamic, uh, because of course, the profession in question might be one in which your adjudicator is qualified. Um, So we could, for instance, be dealing, just to take a very obvious example, of um, a claim by a referring party of negligence on the part of a quantity surveyor um, in relation to the project in circumstances where uh, your adjudicator is a RICS qualified quantity surveyor. Uh, And that throws up a bit of an issue because um, the obvious analogy, I guess, would be if you were in court proceedings and you're bringing a claim against a 
solicitor for negligence, you're never or very rarely going to be allowed to you to call expert evidence on that because the judge is going to say, I'm a lawyer, I can determine um, what the standard of care was and make my own mind up about it. Um, so you could, as a referring party, say, well, I've got my QS um, in the deciding seat. He or she will know what the position is. I'm going to uh, cut my cloth accordingly and not waste um, time and money with expert evidence. Um, and that's all well and good. Uh, but of course, there is a risk with that because the responding party uh, may very well decide to put in expert evidence at a time when you've not put any in. Um, and um, you might not have a right to reply on that or the adjudicator might say he's not taking any reply submissions into account, potentially. So I think there's a risk factor with how you treat um, the extent of expert evidence you rely upon in an adjudication, which is just another thing to really think about when deciding which course to go down, I guess. In terms of the strategic factors that you need to consider um, or other factors that you need to consider before you adjudicate, because often people do get caught up, as you say, in expert evidence and whether mm. or not they can avoid incurring that cost. And yeah. that's the one determining factor as to whether or not they should adjudicate. Um, but of course, there are lots of other things that you should consider when deciding whether or not to adjudicate, aren't there? Of course. And I think... Um I think with any construction professional negligence claim, I think your starting point, whether you are adjudicating, litigating or arbitrating, has to be to get your case theory right from the very, very get-go. Um, because if you don't get that right from the outset, then perhaps more so than other types of claims, things can go very wrong. Uh, and there are two particular reasons for that. One is that in professional negligence claims, the actual scope of the duty that you are alleging is crucial to ascertain from the outset. Um, so I'm talking here about whether or not it's a duty to give information uh, or a duty to give advice, because as we know from the Supreme Court case of BPE and Hughes-Holland and that line of authorities stemming from SAMCO way back when, um, whether or not the scope of your duty determines the recoverable loss. Um, so you've got to get that right from the from the very start. Um, the other point, of course, which is peculiar or more peculiar to professional negligence cases than other types of cases is causation. Um, there are and can be so many hypotheticals involved in, well, if the professional had done their job properly what would have been the position have been or but rather but for the breach what would the position have been um and it's not uh, more so than other cases in construction cases that's not always a binary position i wouldn't have gone ahead with the project or i would have gone ahead with the project there's a whole area in between those two positions uh, that they would have uh, gone with a reduced scheme that they would have allowed for different um, design elements that they would have value engineered something down that one of the other professionals would have come in and done something to help out um, and actually one of the recent examples of the sort of scope of that area for argument um, is the recent case from April of Russell um, and um, Russell and Stone um, where the court just simply said well you've got to actually prove and we all know this but it's a good reminder of how easy it is to forget it um, you've got to actually prove what the breach is what would have uh, what that's caused and how you would have done things differently because as a result of that particular um, breach um, so that's very important to sort out and then when you're looking actually more about whether you adjudicate as opposed to litigate you want to think about things like the complexity of the evidence. Um, and I understand your point from earlier that complexity doesn't mean 
that an adjudication decision won't be enforced necessarily, um, but it might still mean that it's not suitable for adjudication and that a different avenue would be better. Um, But if you're a claimant, uh, you might want to adjudicate because, of course, one of the things that might be an issue is what you would have done if properly advised or if the negligence hadn't occurred. And if you're not going to be cross-examined on that, uh, you might stand a far better chance of that being um, just taken as read, if you like, on the face of a witness statement because we know an adjudicator can call a hearing to have the evidence cross-examined, but that is uh, more the uh, exception than the norm. And other things like dishonesty and whether you need evidence of third party, etc. All of those are sorts of things that you need to take into account in considering whether to adjudicate, I would say. Um, but of course, um, there are alternatives now. So we've got the Professional Negligence uh, Bar Association Adjudication Scheme, um, which is um, a new scheme. But that's not mandatory, is it? So that's slightly no, different. It's not mandatory. It's completely different. It's not in relation to the Act. It's across the board for professional negligence. Um, it's um, a scheme which has been set up by the Professional Negligence Bar Association. Uh, currently, there are they have a panel of 11 QCs, and I think it's about 12 juniors of us. Um, and it's completely consensual. The parties have to agree that they will be uh, that they want to take this course, that they want to be bound by the scheme rules, and they in effect ask for an adjudicator to be selected from that panel of barristers. Written submissions can request a hearing, written decision within fifty six days, um, and that decision will be legally binding unless it's altered, unless the parties have opted for finality. Um, so, the it's not mandatory, as you say. The key point is that it has to, it's consensual. Um, it is intended for professional negligence disputes. No precise definition in the guidance on the scheme as to what a professional negligence dispute is. Um, it's thought to be particularly suitable for um, lawyers, valuers, accountants, etc., because it's thought that those can be things that are resolved on the documents. Um, but it doesn't exclude construction professionals. So uh, it deals with construction professionals in particular at 7.4 of the scheme saying parties to disputes involving construction professionals who may have the availability of the statutory scheme that you and I have been talking about under the 96 Act should give very careful consideration to the desirability of using the PNBA scheme, but obviously doesn't say that they can't. Um, and, And it's early days for the scheme in general. It is being being used um, and there's obviously a lot going on to encourage greater use of it because it is seen as a very good thing. Um, but I, I can certainly see, and this is all to be tested, but I can certainly see some potential advantages to using the scheme on a construction dispute. Um, so some of the things that spring immediately to mind are the fact that because it's consensual, you can have you can refer multiple disputes under multiple contracts, for instance, which you can't necessarily do on a statutory adjudication. Again, you need consent for that. Um, you could have the benefit of having a lawyer as the adjudicator uh, and a professional negligence specialist at that, um, because obviously there, it's all professional negligence lawyers. Um, and that I can see a role, for instance, for ha- perhaps for saying that one part of a dispute because you can you don't have to refer a whole dispute you can just refer one part or one issue maybe you want one part de- dealt with by a professional negligence lawyer say on the issue of whether there's a duty and what that duty is or a limitation issue something that's 
more more legalistic um, or would benefit from a lawyer. And then something like, for instance, the quantum aspect, which would benefit from a quantity surveyor um, as an, your adjudicator might benefit from being referred under the scheme. Um, but I think the real advantage could be that of flexibility. Um, so um, it's a much more sophisticated approach to say costs under the PNBA scheme. The parties can agree a whole host of things, albeit in advance, uh, on costs which simply isn't available on statutory adjudication. So again, not what it was designed for, which brings us really full circle to um, back to the 96 Act, which is not what it was designed for. Um, but I guess we have to work with what we've got. Um, what we've got is the 96 Act and potentially the PNBA uh, scheme. So that concludes this Hardwick podcast on the topic of the adjudication of construction professional negligence claims. We hope you found it interesting and useful. You might like to subscribe to our podcast series by way of Apple Podcast, Spotify or whatever podcast medium you use. You can also find out more on the Hardwick website, which is hardwick.co.uk. Thanks for listening. is the Barristers' Chambers, which specialises in legal advice and advocacy in the areas of clinical negligence and personal injury, commercial dispute resolution, construction, insolvency, insurance, private client, professional liability and property. This podcast is provided free of charge for information purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied on as such. No responsibility for the accuracy and or correctness of the information and commentary or any consequences of relying on it, is assumed or accepted by any member of Hardwick or by Hardwick as a whole.